All right, good morning. I was in mid-stand adjustment. It's still not quite where I want it, but I'm going to have to roll with it. Uh, thank you for joining us today. I got to tell you, I had a, I had a little moment during, the, during that song. <laughs> I was trying to sing, and I couldn't quite sing because I've just been reflecting personally a lot lately on the goodness of God and what he does for us. And he's not obligated to do anything for us, but he has offered his son, and then he has so many great things in store for our lives. And I've just been able to see, and I've got a story that I cannot wait to tell. I told our, our teams this earlier. I got a story that I cannot wait to tell. I just don't have time to tell it yet about how God has been faithful. My mother's facing um, neurosurgery. She's going to, they're already there in California getting ready for it. I'm heading out there to be with them. Um, And it's a scary thing, but, but seeing how God has been providing along the way and what he's been doing has been absolutely mind blowing. I haven't, I honestly haven't so clearly seen him doing things like this in a while. And so I cannot wait to tell those those stories, but I'm going to wait until they're complete to, to share all of them with all of you. Um, and so God is so good and he is so faithful and he takes care of us. And so we're thankful for that. Now as a church, we are starting something brand new today. Might be why you're here. Um, maybe it's your first time here with us, or you just knew we were starting something new and you wanted to make sure that you were here this week. And so thank you for doing that. Jess already mentioned it during when her host comments. Uh, we're starting the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and we are going to work through it piece by piece. And the way we normally do this as a church, we've done this over the last few years. We've done um, the gospel of John this way. We've done Romans this way. We've done James this way, and we've done Galatians this way. And so if you're interested in any of those books, we have full walkthrough series, um, you know, section by section teachings on those books. You can catch all that online. But what we normally do, and this is my favorite thing to do, is we teach a passage on Sunday, and then I write uh, four or five questions that go to our groups. And most of our groups, not all, but most of our groups do the sermon-based study, which takes what we discuss on Sunday and allows time to read some other scriptures, to to read some other places um, in, in the Bible, to talk about application or to dive deeper. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for us? What are we supposed to do? And allows you to process that with other people, which we don't have the opportunity to do here on Sunday. And so it's just such an incredible way to, to really wring all of the water out of the sponge, so to speak, when we're, when we're studying through a book. Um, so with that said, we are going to do this one a little differently than the other ones we've done. Um, because I don't know if you've ever noticed in reading through your Bible, but Luke is a monster, okay? It is really long. And I, I sat down and I, I took it and I broke it down into sections, teaching sections as I normally would when we're going through a book like this. And by the time I was all said and done, if, I, if we did it that way, this series would be 99 weeks long. And I was like, I love the Gospel of Luke. <laughs> But I love other stuff in Scripture, too, and I want to have time to talk about that. And so uh, we're not going to do 99 weeks in Luke. And I also don't want to do these huge, massive sections of Scripture every single week, or we won't be able to do it justice. So here's what ultimately decided to land on. We are, I went through and I picked out what I thought gave us the, the fullest picture of Luke, kind of the highlights moments as we go through Luke. Um, and w- those are the ones that we're going to do. And now I got, I whittled it all the way down to a 37-week series. <laughs> so we're going to be doing Luke for the rest of the year. Literally, we'll take, a, we'll take a day on Easter. All right, we'll take a break on Easter. We'll take a five-week break in the summer. But otherwise, it's taken us all the way to Christmas this year, which is going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. And 
and we're definitely not going to get sick of it. Luke is, is varied and fascinating. One week we'll be talking about a parable. The next week we'll be talking about an interaction with the Pharisees. The next week we'll be talking about a miracle or healing that he did. We'll be all over the place, and it's going to be great as we work through. But what that means is that there are going to be gaps from Sunday to Sunday. So what I'm going to do is I am going to record a video every single week reading through and filling in the gap. So reading through the the, the taking us from one week to the next. And it's not going to be a sermon or anything like that, but I'm going to read through it and just point out anything, any details or anything that might be tricky or whatever. And so I want to encourage you to watch those videos. Just take some time. They're not, sometimes they'll be short. Sometimes we won't have one because we're going right from one thing to the next week to week. And sometimes they're going to be long. I already recorded them for this week. And I, I do have a, some of you are going to be disappointed. This is Luke. You know what's at the beginning of Luke? That's right. Christmas. Sorry, guys, we're skipping Christmas. <laughs> we just, we just did it. We just did it. And so this week we're just gonna we're gonna introduce Luke. This is how we always start series like this. I'm gonna introduce the the gospel of Luke to everyone, um, and then next week we're gonna pick up with the baptism of baptism of Jesus. Not that the birth of John the Baptist, which is in chapter one, or the birth of Jesus, which is mostly in chapter two, aren't important. We just talked about them, and so we're gonna move we're gonna move there. So I those are both long too. So I recorded two videos for this week. So I'll, I'll put one of those videos out on um, Facebook. It'll be a YouTube link out on Facebook today. That'll cover the rest of chapter one, which is the birth of John the Baptist, essentially. And then uh, on Wednesday, I'll set, put out the next video, which will be chapter two, and that's the birth of Jesus. And there's some interesting stuff there you want to check out. So that's the way we're going to do it. And by doing it that way, we are going to get all the way through the book of Luke and read every single verse all the way um, through the, the end of the year. So it's going to be fun, and I hope you are, you're ready for it and you're excited about it because it's going to be an amazing, amazing journey. So before we uh, dive into the text, I want to take just a moment to pray. To, to set this all off right, ask God to, uh, to bless and dedicate our, our time um, as we begin this journey together. So let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we are, we are so excited to get into this gospel, uh, the words that you inspired Luke to write down. And we're going we're gonna to see and experience the truth. We're going to see what life is supposed to be like. We're going to see uh, how Jesus lived and how he taught and what he wants from us. But as we get further and further, we're going to see, more importantly, the sacrifice that he made for us. And we're going to, we're going to get to see how he interacted with people and, and how he helped people and served people. And our prayer as we get ready for this, this study, as we get ready to dive into Luke, um, is that you would transform us. You would show us the image of Jesus in this gospel and you would continue the process of transforming us into his image so that our life can look like his. And so we take this entire series, we dedicate this, and we ask you to bless us as we, as we read and as we learn. Open our hearts and minds. Teach us in the spirit what you want to teach us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Y'all ready to go? Ready to do it? Let's do it. Okay. First, now first, first thing we always do um, in a series like this, as I mentioned, is we, we introduce the book. Okay, who wrote it? Why did they write it? Who are they writing to? All of that creates context that allows us to understand as we're reading why certain things are included or why things are said the way they are. All that context is really important. So let's start with Luke. Who's Luke? All right, we know a little bit about Luke. We don't know as much as we would like to about Luke, but we do know that Luke was a doctor. 
Okay? Luke was a physician. He's called beloved physician in, in Colossians chapter 4. So Luke is a very, as a doctor would be today, a very detail-oriented person who needs to understand and understands how things work and how they work together, just like a doctor would today. Now, medicine's a lot different today than it was back then, but Luke was a precise and detailed person. We also know that Luke, well, we're, I would say 99% sure that, I did see one argument to the contrary, but that Luke is a Gentile. He is not a Jew, which makes him the only Gentile author in the New Testament, the only one. But he's a pretty big one because he wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is telling the, the story of what God did through, through Jesus, and he also wrote Acts. So they're, they're meant to go together. Luke and Acts are continuation. Acts is a continuation of Luke. It's the Acts of the Apostles. So he actually, it's like one, one, it's two volumes in one set. And so between the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, uh, Luke wrote approximately 28% of the entire New Testament. Someone who was not Jewish, but was a Gentile who received Christ as his Savior. And um, tradition holds that Luke was from Antioch. Now, don't have evidence to the fact. That's what tradition tells us. Luke was from Antioch, and we do know that he was a very close companion of Paul. So, so Luke and Paul were very close with one another. And I could, I could really see Luke and Paul hitting it off, just <laughs> their level of detail and intellect that they both possessed. And so what Luke decided to do, or what he set his task to, was to write a historical record. That's what Luke did. And it's different. And we're going to talk about how Luke is different than the other Gospels as we go through. But first, let's read, let's read the first few verses, and we're going, to see, um, we're going to see Luke's purpose right out of the gate. All right, Luke chapter 1. And in case you're curious, if you're, if you're new, we generally read from the New King James Version here. I'm not a version snob. I, I just prefer the New King James for what we're doing. Um, so you can read from whatever version you want. But if you want to avoid the whole, like, oh, where are we? What are we doing? Then you might want to read from New King James. Uh, it makes it a lot easier. So um, anyway, Luke chapter 1. Hopefully you found it by now. Uh, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account. So that's what this gospel is. It is a historical record. It is an orderly account of Jesus' life and ministry, specifically what God has done. It's, it's a little bigger and wider than just Jesus' ministry, but it's what God has done or what he had done. An orderly account. Um, so if you want to think of it this way, in some ways, Luke is Jesus' biographer. It is bigger and it's more than that, but he is trying to tell the story accurately of Jesus' life and ministry in this gospel. And he starts from the very beginning. So this gospel is based on eyewitness accounts. Luke went directly to the, the primary source of this information because he's a good historian. He went to the primary source of this information so that he knew he would have it right. Um, now, this is really important, and I cannot stress enough to you, as I've stressed to myself and others have stressed to me, how important it is to have confidence in your sources when you're reading something. 
I was, I was reading something uh, a couple of years ago. I was reading a book. It was kind of a scandalous expose kind of historical thing. And as I was reading, the author made this assertion. And when he made it, I was like, whoo, that doesn't, that, I've never heard that before. That doesn't sound like a conspiracy theory kind of thing. And I was like, ah, I don't know about that. But he had, he had sources. He had documented all of his, his sources. And so I went and looked at that source, and I was like, oh, let me check that out. So then I went to the source that he, he quoted. And I went to that book, and it was written in the 70s. And um, I started doing a little research on that book, and I found out that the author of that book in the 70s had completely lied about it. He, he had said that he had this particular document, this particular source, which he could never produce, and everybody realized that this guy was lying. Yet he had already written the book, so then people read the book, took his word for it, and then read their own books and cited him as a source <laughs> when there was no factual foundation for it whatsoever. Be really careful about the sources for your information. Now, Luke, when he's writing his gospel, goes directly to primary sources. Some of, here are some of uh, his primary sources. He, um, he deal, dealt directly with Matthew, okay? Matthew, who wrote the gospel of Matthew. That was one of his key sources, he also used Mark as a source. Now, Mark wasn't there in the ministry with Jesus, but Mark, his gospel is Peter's account. Okay, so the gospel of Mark is actually Peter's eyewitness account of Jesus' life and ministry. So he used Peter's eyewitness account. And then this is maybe the coolest, the coolest thing. And you'll see this as, you, as we read through the gospel. There are places where he has insight into things that happened or were said, and you're like, man, what was his source for that? One of his key sources was Mary herself. So, so Luke literally interviewed and t got the eyewitness account from Mary. And there are some places where you're going to see um, he, he gives some information about her or what she thought or what was happening in her heart. And that came directly uh, from, from her. So he's getting firsthand accounts, just like a historian would today if, they, if the people were still alive that he could interview. Um, and there's, there's, one, there's one part, and I talk about this in the video if, if you watch that this week, because um, we, we read it. Um, but, you know, she gives, the whole, she gives him all the information about the birth of Jesus. He gets the birth narrative in more detail than any of the other, uh, any of the other writers, and which is why usually at Christmas we read from Luke, because he gives, he gives the most detail. Um, so he got that from her. And then you would imagine he's sitting down talking to her. He's like, well, talk to me about Jesus as a young man or as a teenager or whatever. And surely she shared stories and things that happened that he didn't feel significant enough to include in the gospel. Otherwise, it would have been way more than 99 weeks. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but I, I'm just picturing him sitting down with her, and she's telling all these stories like, okay, that's interesting, that's interesting. And then she goes, actually, she says, Luke, I ever told you about the time I lost him? Because that's the only story we have of him when he's about 12 years old, when Mary and Joseph lose Jesus. They lose the Savior of the world. Of course, they, they, they find him. And, uh, and I, I've got to tell that. i got to say this. Sorry. Um, I, I'm only apologizing to you because Jess is like, no, don't rabbit trail. Um, but it's very much a Home Alone situation. <laughs> You know, you know, in Home Alone, when they're counting all the kids in the van and they put their hand on the neighborhood, but Mary says that the reason that she lost Jesus, just so she's not like implicated as, as being a, a delinquent parent or something, um, the reason she lost Jesus because there was a whole group of them traveling from Jerusalem back home after the Passover, and she just assumed he was with all the other kids and the, with the buddies or whatever, and they get a day's journey away and realize that he's not with them. So then they go back to Jerusalem, takes, them th takes her three days to find him. 
Um, and so this is four days. He's lost now, and she finds him in the temple. And his response is basically, should have looked here first. <laughs> so anyway, it's a, it's a funny story. It's a funny story, but that's the only one we get. So you imagine her telling him that story and, and Luke being like, oh, we got to include that. Not, not just because it's funny, but because it demonstrates Jesus uh, wowing the teachers and, and the, the religious leaders with his knowledge and, uh, as you see him grow in knowledge and stature. So anyway, that's what, that's what Luke is doing. He's interviewing people. He's taking all of these pieces from here and there. And so one of the things that makes Luke's gospel unique is that Matthew's gospel is written from Matthew's perspective. And Mark's gospel is written from Um, from Peter's perspective, and John's gospel is written from John's perspective, but Luke's gospel is written from multiple perspectives. So you get sort of a 3D view at Jesus' ministry in a way. You get extra details and perspectives and things as you go through. So it's really, really uh, uh, meaningful in that way. All right, so that's what he's setting out to do. That's that's his task. Now let's look at verse three, because we didn't quite finish it. Um, He said, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. So the gospel of Luke is actually written to a person. It's written to one person whose name is Theophilus. Now, who is Theophilus? Well, wouldn't we all love to know? There, there are theories on who Theophilus is. Nobody knows for sure, other than Luke certainly knows for sure, but he's not telling at this point. So we don't really know, but there are some theories on who this Theophilus is. And so I want to share a few of those theories, just for interest's sake. Um, the first theory is that Theophilus is not actually a person. That Theophilus is a personification of all believers. That it's, that it's a pseudonym that represents all believers because the name Theophilus is made up of two parts, Theophilos, God's friend. So he could be writing this to God's friends. That might be, that might be a general thing. Now, I don't think personally that that's it. Um, and the reason is because of what he says right before it. He says, most excellent Theophilus. Very, very intentional choice of words. Um, the, the term most excellent, they would have used in that culture as a term of respect for someone in a high position. So doubtful he's talking about just all believers. Possible. Um, so the other, the other options are most excellent would often have been used in, in um, addressing a Roman official. So it's possible, this is theory number two, that Theophilus is a, a Roman official who's actually named Theophilus. That was a common name at the time or a used name. So it could be that. The other, another theory, theory number three, would be that Theophilus is a pseudonym for a Roman official who wanted to remain anonymous. So he's writing to a Roman official and saying, God's friend, but they didn't want their name to be used. So it's possible. The other possibility, and this would be theory four, is that Theophilus is not a Roman official, but is a high-ranking person of some kind um, who commissioned this work. Because there, there's a great example of the um, Jewish historian Josephus He's commissioned to write this series, this, the, the couple volumes of books called Against the Greeks, and he's commissioned to do that by a guy named Epaphroditus. And he begins his book with most excellent Epaphroditus. So in that case, he, Josephus is recognizing the person who commissioned him to go and do this work. So it's also possible that Theophilus 
is a man who just commissioned Luke to go and do this historical record. Maybe paid the bills and made sure that he was able to go do what he needed to do. I tend to think it's that, but we don't really know, all right? Either way, we know, just, just based on what we read, we know that uh, Luke, or we're fairly confident Luke is a Gentile. We're also fairly confident that the person receiving the letter is also a Gentile, not a Jew, which makes us very unique for New Testament writings. Now, how do we know that? There's a few key things um, that, for those of you history nerds, listen, history nerds, you're gonna love this first message, okay? People who don't care about history, just hang in there with me, okay? All right, this stuff's fun to some of us. <laughs> and so uh, how do we know or how, why do we think that this is written to, to a Gentile? Well, for one thing, he explains places that Jews would have already understood. So like in chapter four, he says, um, he says they went down to Capernaum, which is a city in Galilee. Well, Jews wouldn't need to be told that. They would know that Capernaum was a city in Galilee. So this is somebody who's not familiar with the geography of Galilee and of, of Israel. So probably a Gentile. Um, second, he traces gene Jesus' genealogy, and Ma Matthew does as well. But Matthew, who's writing to Jews, traces the genealogy back to Abraham. Luke traces the genealogy back to Adam. So he goes further back to, to co the common all mankind. So that gives us an indication too. Um, three, this is just a functional thing. He uses Roman emperors as reference points for time as he goes through the gospel. Um, four, he uses more Gentile-ish terms than Jewish terms. So when he's talking about Jesus, he doesn't use the word rabbi. He uses the word teacher. Just um, language that would be more universal and common to all people to understand. And then um, the last thing, unlike Matthew, uh, Mark or Luke only uh, mentions, I think, five prophecies, five Old Testament prophecies in the entire book. And four of those are quotes for when Jesus is dealing with Jewish people. So he doesn't offer prophecies on his own to show that Jesus fulfilled them. But Matthew did that all over the place because he was writing to a Jewish audience. So all these things give us the indication that the person he's writing to is probably a Gentile. And it reminds me, this is what, as a pastor, I've been taught to do uh, in, in messages and sermons is to uh, steer, steer clear of assumed knowledge. So I learned that early on. I would say things like, well, the Apostle Paul. And then someone would critique me after the fact, and critique is good, by the way. And they would critique me after the fact, and they'd be like, hey, people might not know who Paul is. Like you said that like everybody would know who he is or that place. Everybody's gonna know who that place is or that prophet. Everybody's gonna know who that prophet is. When you mention people like that, you, know, you, need, you need to explain just a little bit because you never know who's listening. And so we always said, put the cookies on the shelf where everybody can reach them. <laughs> so you might notice that, you know, in messages, we've, you know, I've, I've talked about Paul a billion times, but I, I may, you know, when I talk about him, say Apostle Paul, who wrote a bunch of the New Testament, who planted a bunch of the churches um, at the first. And so I'll explain some of those things. It's just so that everybody can be on the same page. And it looks like Luke does the same thing. So Luke is keeping things generic enough that a non-Jewish person can understand this message of Jesus. So which is good because that probably will speak to most of us as well. All right. Um, so this is written, though this is written presumably to, to, to just one person, I did end up being distributed to a wide audience and then, of course, to, to all believers today. Um, and I wonder, I wonder if Paul, or if uh, Luke, sorry if I do that, by the way, um, talking about Luke, I wonder, if, um, I wonder if Luke sent this to Theophilus, Theophilus read it, and he was like, man, 
everybody's got to read this. <laughs> and then distributed out, or, or maybe that was the intent from the very beginning. Um, but it was distributed out to everyone. Because this is good news, not just for Theophilus. It's good news for all of us. So here's the question. Why did he do this? Why did he write this? What does he want to see happen? Because of spending all this time and all this energy interviewing people, writing, compiling, doing all this. What does he want? All right, let's look at verse 4. Wrote to this to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Luke did not compile this just so that we would have a history, just so that we would know what happened. He compiled this with a very specific purpose for Theophilus and then ultimately for us that we would solidify the foundation of our faith in reading it and studying it. That we would see that this is true, that it happened, that we can build our entire life on it and around it. And so his prayer for Theophilus in reading this gospel, I have to assume is the same as his purpose for you and I in reading this gospel. That as we read and as we see Jesus as he actually is, our faith would be strengthened. The, the, the concrete of our spiritual life would, would solidify, would, would cure. And that as a result of reading through Jesus' life and seeing what he did, what led up to the cross, what he did on the cross and in his resurrection, that our faith would be stronger as a result. And I tell you that our confidence cannot be undervalued or overvalued. I don't know. It's important. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Our confidence is vital. Okay. One, one thing that, uh, that you, can, you can kind of see in this gospel is a response to the Gentiles, particularly to the Greek culture. The Greek culture, the Greek philosophers were always searching for the perfect man. This was their task. They, they wanted to identify the perfect man. And if they could identify the perfect man and all people could follow that model that would lead to a perfect world, to utopia is the term they would use. And so what Luke is showing to, to Theophilus and showing to us is that Jesus is the perfect man that he is the one that they're looking for. He is the one that all of their philosophers have been seeking. And that ultimately, if we build our life on this perfect man, we will experience things as they're supposed to be, utopia. Unfortunately, that ain't happening here and now, <laughs> okay? That's coming. And we're looking forward to that coming. When Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom here and he rules as a ruler is supposed to rule and puts people in charge that are the kind of people that should be in charge as we all seek after the image of Jesus. And as we go through and we take this year to read through the gospel, what we want to see, what we're looking for is the image of Jesus to see the person and the life and the heartbeat and the passion of our Savior and to look at that as a mirror on ourselves and say, how am I this year as we study and as we look at this historical record, how is my life going to come into congruence with Jesus' life so that I can appreciate him and love him and become more and more like him here and now? Even though I know that, that a perfect world doesn't exist here and now. 
But I want to be continually perfected in the image of Jesus. And going through the gospel of Luke is going to allow us to do that. That was his intent from the very beginning. And so we're going to read firsthand accounts of Jesus performing miracles, teaching undeniable truths, defying social expectations. We're going to observe him as he interacts with people who are rich and people who are poor, people who are powerful, people who are powerless, people who are celebrated by society, and people who are outcast by society. We're going to witness the Son of God as he gives his life on the cross in our place and as he rises again on the third day. And know that if we put our faith in him for salvation, this perfect man, this sacrifice, that we too can be called children of God and be with him for all eternity. And as we process all of that this year, I pray that our faith would be strengthened and that like Theophilus, we may know the certainty of those things in which we have been instructed. So I pray you go on this journey with me and we seek this with all of our heart. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for your kindness, for your goodness. We thank you for who you are and your power and majesty. We thank you that even though we are sinful, even though we've walked away, even though we've defied you, you didn't cast us off, you didn't cast us aside, but in your mercy, you sent your son, Jesus. And as we read through this gospel together and we watch his life and his ministry and ultimately his sacrifice, God, our prayer, our desire is that you would use this in our life to strengthen our foundation of faith so that we can more confidently walk with you, so that we can more confidently be transformed into the image of Jesus as we know more and more what that looks like. And so, God, I, I just take and I dedicate this entire season and this series and this teaching and this study to you, whether it's what we do together on Sunday, what's happening in groups during the week, what's happening personally day by day as we continue to process this on our own, and we ask you, Father, to teach us. Spirit, teach us as we're reading. Show us what we need to see. Help us to understand what we need to understand. Show us how to apply what you want us to apply. So that, that when we walk out of 2024, we look more like Jesus, more like his image than when we walked in. And, and as we go on this journey, we recognize also, Christ, that your plan is to return. Your plan is to return and establish your kingdom. And we don't know when that's going to happen. And so we're pursuing your image as we're waiting, as we're anticipating your return. But we also ask that it be soon, sooner rather than later. And we want to be ready when that day comes. And so, Father, continue to transform us and change us day by day, moment by moment as we walk in your love and we thank you for your love shown to us in Christ on the cross. And so today we offer ourselves back to you, knowing that you received us into your family through faith and that you wanna transform us into the glorious image of Christ.
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.